all about encouragement. Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. It's the 29th day of December 2019. It is hard to believe that we are at the end of the year, isn't it? And so we are offering this teaching uh, today to try to encourage you in your quiet times for the new year. We're recording it because there's people that's sick and unable to be with us this morning because of travel and other afflictions as well. So we just want to provide that for them. I also have uh, these resources we'll make available on our church's Facebook page. If you Facebook, perhaps you're here because you saw our little announcement in our church members group for today's event, uh, just to try to help you with your spiritual aims for 2020. I know there's a couple of classes that decided to come in here today to be a part of this, and so we hope it encourages you. This is designed to be lecture series style, uh, so I've handed you a manuscript of my notes. I'll follow it rather closely, uh, deviating from the script just a very small amount as we go along. But you need to get started because we have limited amount of time before we prepare for our worship service. Uh, how do I have one effective quiet time. That's our, that's our thesis. How do I have one effective quiet time? It'd be great to aim for a daily effective quiet time, a consistent quiet time. It'd be great to have lofty goals of reading through the Bible in a year. And I'll address some of those things, but really, I just want to, to just start with just one. How do you have one effective quiet time? So this is a teaching for Christians who have had effective quiet times, maybe you've already had them, and for Christians that cannot ever remember having an effective quiet time in their lives. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've always depended on someone else to feed you the Word of God. You've never personally sat down with any consistency, maybe not at all, and read the Word and prayed and sought to seek out what is God saying to me today. And so if you've never done that, this is for you. If you've never done that before, if you've always gleaned from others and never personally sat down, uh, if, to use the old metaphor, if you've always been the person that was given fish but never taught how to fish for yourself, you know, give a man fish, fish for a day, teach a man how to fish, fish for a lifetime. So if you've never had that, this is for you as well. This is for you as well. We want, we want not a professional class of clergy students of the Bible. What we want is a laity full of people that are equipped and empowered and encouraged to study the Word of God on their own and to ask God today to me, what are you saying? So that's the aim of uh, this class, but really it's to help you have just one of those, just one more of those. Most Christians, I think, have an internal sense that they need to spend time with the Lord. And most Christians, I think, feel guilty when they don't. Would you agree? I think, though, there's a gap between the sense of ought and the reality of having a quiet time. And I want to, to discuss that gap today. I do not think that gap between the ought to and the reality is by accident. I'm convinced that the battle lines between good and evil have been drawn. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, we learn that the war we fight is spiritual and it's not simply physical. That the armor of God that we've been provided with is largely defensive and that our main offensive weapon to wage war with is the Word. The Apostle Paul writes about this to the church at Ephesus when he says the following, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the full strength of His might, 
Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God and take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? It is the Word of God. Praying, so we see word and prayer twin together again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Awake from your slumber of not having quiet times. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, and we are too that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so your quiet times affect your sharing. We're going to get to that in a moment. The gap between the ought to and the reality of having a quiet time exists because it's supposed to exist. Your potential quiet time represents the main battle line of this spiritual war between the Lord and the devil in your life. With you as the Lord's and the devil, a cosmic power over this present darkness, you have been outfitted with equipment by the Spirit for this spiritual war. Defense, they say, wins championships, but it doesn't. They lie. It's a false saying. In fact, no one has ever won a championship in a sport without ever scoring a point. You have to have offense, too. And that's why God stakes his offense he stakes his offensive hope in this one weapon, this weapon that he has made perfect for us, the sword of the Lord, which is the Word of God. And so we make war because this is war, and the Bible makes it clear to us that this is where the battle lines are drawn. The reality is I want to assert that the most important quiet time you or I will ever have is the very next quiet time, the very next one. The next one is the best one. God's sheep know the sound of God's voice by God's Word. We find in John, we the sheep know that there's no other place we can go for words of life. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, the Apostle Peter said to Jesus. We have lived many days on a minimal calorie diet, perhaps on Sunday occasions and sporadic family times where we read the Word and pray. But God intends you, me, us, to be better fed than that. We don't have to live on food or bread alone. Greek word is artas in Matthew 4.4. 4. It means food or bread. We don't have to live on bread alone. Our food doesn't just have to be on physical food, but on every foodly word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. In Matthew, Jesus was quoting as he defeated the devil. By quoting Scripture, he was quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. So I want to convey to you in no uncertain terms that this is war and I myself lose battles. I have a shelf full of print journals that testify to the gap between what I ought to do for my personal quiet times and the reality of what I actually do. I am not an exemplar in consistent quiet times. I, I will tell you what I am. That is that I am sure that this is the battle line. This is war. I'm sure that I've been given enough awareness of the value of quiet times with the help of the Lord that expressing the value of quiet times to other sheep is expected of me. Luke 12, 48 impresses that upon me. And my assertion for every sheep of God who knows the sound of the good shepherd's voice, and all sheep do know the sound of the shepherd's voice, is that the very next time you have an effective quiet time, you will testify again to the total truthfulness of the words of the Psalter when you praise God's majesty as you say with him, taste and see, I have taste and seen that the Lord is good. And you overcome spiritual hunger. 
and come as children again to listen to the Lord by his word. That's the warp and woof of Psalm 34, 8 through 11. So therefore, the very next battle over taking the next hill, if you want to use a military metaphor, of the quiet time is the only one you can fully focus on, and it's the only one that you will win today. What is the Lord saying to me today? So to, to move this conversation forward then, the next paragraph in your outline on page three, having an effective quiet time is about how to do it and where you're going, both. How to do it and where you're going. So just lifting your eyes from the page for just a second, I want to give you a, a kind of a metaphor, a way of thinking about this. I think that there are those of us that have never had a quiet time and so the, the main reason why we don't have quiet times is because we've never really understood the mechanics of it. Like, we really don't understand. And so we, we need that equipping, and we need to allow ourselves to be taught how to do it. And so I, I'm going to do that today, kind of, but I'm going to do it explicitly next Sunday morning at 9.15. So if you want to come back for that, I'm literally going to walk through having a quiet time. That's not what I'm doing today. A lot of this is the why and some resources, but I'm literally going to do one. So if you want to come back next Sunday, it'll be one more one-off, and that'll be the end of these one-offs where I'll do that. And I'm not advocating you can't your class for that or anything like that, but if you need that, if that's something you need, I don't care if it's a group of six, eight, I'll sit right here and we'll do it together next Sunday morning, 9.15. Ignorance is not a sin, but if you, wo if you woefully continue to be ignorant of quiet times, then, then it's a sin. For all the rest of us that know the value of a quiet time and we just don't have it, Strictly speaking, when I just don't commune with the Lord, it's my sin. I've decided some entertainment value is more important than spending time with Jesus. I've decided some other priority is more important than hearing from God by His Word. And I sin that way regularly. So you're not alone. But whatever the situation is, whatever reason I can't lift my head to read the words of Scripture, it's my sin problem. So there's two problems with not having a quiet time. One of them really is I just don't really know. I've just never, never tasted and seen the Lord's good. I've always gotten secondhand information. I've never actually dug in for myself. And then the other one is the rest of us, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in quiet times, and we just don't do it. And I don't mean to be smug about that. I fail too. But I think to get to the nub of the matter, that's the two. That's the two. I don't know how or I'm just not doing it. So we want to try to address both of those this week and as perhaps even next Sunday morning as well. So back to the page, having an effective quiet time is about how to do it and where to go. So it's kind of like driving a car in this sense, to use this metaphor. You must, on the one hand, learn how to drive. You can only learn so much from reading or watching other people drive. You need to experience it. You have to get a learner's permit, set in the seat, have a mentor and drive, you have to practice, and you'll learn spacing and steering and adjustments that need to be made, sometimes even mid-drive, and you'll scare some of us, but you'll eventually, you know, eventually figure it out. There are unexpected twists and turns when you drive. You, you must learn how to drive, but on the other hand, you need to have a map for where you'll drive to next. You need to eventually have a sense of direction. There are many plans from which to choose. There are many maps. You can go many destinations uh, to, to, to think of it in biblical terms, you can study many different books or you can drive many different routes. And so we'll talk a little bit about how to drive and then briefly share from you where you might choose to drive to, where you should drive to next. So first in this teaching, now we're gonna have, those are going to frame our two points for the rest of this discussion. How do I drive? How do I drive first? And this is the science behind a quiet time. What gears do I need to shift through in order to have an effective quiet time? The, the, the people that have tried to teach on this are voluminous. There are so many people. But the most recent thing I've ran across that is helpful is a resource that Joe Thorne and Jimmy Fowler put out. 
and they made this teaching titled Ransom Bible Study Method. For, and I think to me this is the how to drive, uh, not so much where you're going, but how to drive, how to do it. It's called the Ransom Bible Study Method. This material can be copied, distributed, so you can find it online. I footnoted it there. We'll try to share it on social media so it's easy to click on. Uh, I recommend you familiarize yourself with this method. It's a good refresher for those of you that know this, and it is a great introduction course for those of you that are new to this. Ransom is a simple six-step process reflected in the word ransom that functions as an acrostic where each letter of the word stands for an action to take as you read the scripture. So the R is read, the A is ask, the N is note, the S is summarize, the O is obey, and the M is meditate. So read, ask, note, summarize, obey, and meditate. And then I'm going to add one after I finish sharing a little bit about their teaching, sharing, share, and what I think, why I think that ties in with this. But ransom, first read. If you look at the bottom of page three, you see the all capitalized letter read. And the italics is this is their manuscript I'm pulling from for the italics. It says, begin by reading a passage of Scripture slowly. So if your passage of Scripture for the day is Esther chapter one, you would just open your Bible and read it slowly. Then read it multiple times to become familiar with the passage. Whether you are starting in the book of Genesis, the Gospel of John, Paul's letter to the Philippians, or one of King David's Psalms, determine how much you're going to read in one setting, and then commit yourself to reading that passage. If you're starting a study through an entire book of the Bible, it's a good practice to first read the entire book in one sitting if possible. Uh, it might not be possible if it's like Isaiah and it's huge. But if you say, if it's Esther and there's just 10 chapters or 12, or if you're reading something like one of the minor prophets and it's small, you can just go through the whole thing real quick and get the, kind of the view of it. Uh, so that, they recommend that. That'll help the reader see the big picture and some of the main emphases for that portion of Scripture. And after that, for the daily readings, take it one chapter or scene or paragraph at a time and read the passage three or four times. Some people find it helpful to write out the passage by hand and even memorize a key verse. I think... And just to pause from the script here at the word ask for reading, I think that Table Talk Magazine does this job for you. I think it does it for you. You don't have to figure out where's the scene begin and end. You don't have to figure out how much am I going to read. They tell you you should read this much, and this ties together with these passages throughout the Bible. And it, it's enough to wet your palate, but it's not so much to tell you what to do with it. I find it to be the best resource around for that and so uh, you can find this for free online I have a link to it and I'll get to that in a moment but I, I think that's probably the best for it's it's by far not the only one so if you are beholden to a different devotional that I'm not recommending today that's okay it's not bad any devotional it's kind of like a workout plan the best workout plan is the one you'll actually do okay so the best the best Bible study is the one you're actually going to do. Uh, but when it comes to recommendations, I'm making one, and it would be table talk. So back to the script, ask. After read, the R in ransom is read. The A is ask. And they know one of the most important things you can do when you're reading the Bible is to ask questions. You shouldn't expect an audible voice to come down from heaven with an answer because the answer is already given in the word God sent down from heaven in the book you have in front of you. Some of the questions you should be asking of the passage of Scripture you're studying is, number one, what does the passage tell us about the person and work of God. What is Number two, what does this passage tell us about human nature and the world that we live in? Number three, what commands are explicitly or implicitly given in this passage? Number four, what sin is highlighted or condemned? Is this passage revealing God's commands or promises? How does this passage connect to all of Scripture, the whole body of Scripture? 
How does this passage demonstrate the need for a Savior? How does this passage relate to the personal work of Jesus Christ? And many more questions could be asked, but these are some of the foundational questions we should be thinking through as we read the Bible. And I want to pause again right there after ask. And I want to kind of go off script a little bit and share something with you that I think will help you. This is something Pastor Kurt and I talked about a little bit. I got into just a little bit with one of the other elders too. And I think this will help you, but, but if it doesn't, just forget it. But if it, I think it will help a good number of you. When you look at the question there, it says, how does this passage connect to the whole of Scripture? I've spent time trying to put myself in your shoes if you don't know the story of Scripture. Like we have out there at the bookstall, the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you do that with your three and four and five and six and seven-year-olds for a few months, you're going to learn the storyline of the Bible because it's resources like that that sort of puts out there for you. This is the panoramic view of the whole Bible, how you read Christ from every page of Scripture and see the big story. That helps. If you don't have experience with that, though, that, that there could be some things that aren't there. Yet, another thing that helps is if you actually don't try to read the Bible in a year. I know that sound, and this is why I said throw this away if this doesn't help you. This is the time of the year when we all get a Bible and a reading plan. And truly, Table Talk Magazine has its own Bible reading plan. If you follow the readings in the corner of every de devotional page all year long, you'd read through the Bible. So that, that's not a bad thing, but I don't want to recommend a Bible in a year plan in this class. And here's why. If you're newer, the problem is you get lost in Leviticus. I mean, if you're newer, you just, it, it, you just get lost because you don't understand the minor premises of Scripture because you don't yet understand the major premises of Scripture. And so you get lost. And so uh, R.C. Sproul Jr. wrote a great little article on this. It's titled, Get a Basic Overview of the Bible. And he wrote it early this year. But what he says is, he, he tries to answer the question, why do many Christians struggle to read the entire Bible? And he says it's because they don't begin with an overview of the Bible and then read overview books of the Bible before they get into the detailed books of the Bible. So he would recommend like reading Genesis and then skipping to say Joshua. So you, you see history and history. And then say skipping to like First and Second Samuel to see some of the, the reign of the kings. And then, say, jumping to Ezra and Nehemiah to see Israel's exile after the fall and the return. So you kind of get basic headings there, and you're not lost. And he does the same thing with the New Testament, where he says you should start with the Gospel of Luke. It gives you the life of Jesus. And he suggests read Acts, because it goes through the whole early church without ever having to touch an epistle. And go ahead and read either Ephesians or 1 Corinthians to kind of get an idea how the church functions. And then jump on to Hebrews, because it says so much about who Christ is, and end in the book of Romans, because it's a, it's, a, it's a magnum opus of, of theology, of systematic theology. So he says, pick these, say, ten books and read them first. I think he's on to something. And I think the Bible in a year plan, I believe, for the maturing person that's having quiet times, that is a great aim, but I think it's a poor starting point. So if that hurts you, just throw it out. If you're just this person that wants to take off, just listen to the whole thing, go for it. But if, if it frees you, let it free you, because I think we need to be able to connect the whole of Scripture to appreciate reading Genesis to Revelation in canon order of books, all 66 books. So we'll, we'll kind of put that out there for you. Number one, read. Number two, ask. At the bottom of page four, you'll see the third letter is note, in note. So as you read the scripture that is before you, note the main idea or repeated words or prominent doctrines being emphasized in that text. This will be easier as you work through the answers to the questions you've been asking of the text just above. They're listed there. A helpful habit at this point is to grab a pencil and write out what you're observing. 
So in other words, you should literally take notes. Whether you use an inexpensive spiral-bound notebook, which at the Dollar Tree is a dollar, a little notebook or something really cheap, or you may want to invest in something really nice, or a couple of people very kindly, they know I journal, and they got me some, some journals for Christmas. I've got a couple of them uh, in, my, in the kitchen at home where people have given me gifts. They have uh, lectern, and, and, and there are expensive leather-bound notebooks. What matters is not what you're using. It's that you write down your thoughts. What is God saying to me today? And that's where a structured devotional meets sort of the Don Whitney praying the Bible kind of, of emphases. If you, so for some of you that are familiar with that, what is God saying to me today? And then make a little note. What's the main idea of this passage? And what's God saying to me today? So they also recommend here, if you're a digital person, the ESV journaling Bible uh, and ESV scripture journals that are published by Crossway. We, we use those journals for our sermon series. Some of you have those little thin journals. But if you're a digital person, we recently got this for our oldest daughter to try. If, if you like to use a tablet or something, the ESV Journaling Bible is an inexpensive way to, to be able to do that if you like to do it that way. I personally prefer the printed page, so I have no doubt dozens of these kinds of things on my shelf at home. And it's just, it's just where I've read the Bible and written down a thought. Now, Immediately, I, pre I predicted in my own mind as we were preparing for this, this lesson, people are going to push back and say, well, that's great for you, Pastor, but you're kind of academic. That's, you know, David was the manliest man represented in the Bible, this side of Jesus. He, he regularly went to war, and he wrote a whole bunch of psalms. Okay, the, the Renaissance man for the Christian is this. He's a poet, and he's a warrior. Don't think they don't go together, because they do. Poet, warrior. So you don't ever have to become an academic per se, but the idea that manly men don't make a note about the Word of God I think is a complete trap of the enemy. And I think manly men should learn to read a page of Scripture and write a note. I'll tell you this much. I have seen a lot of earthy, strong mechanics carrying around notepads in their pockets where they write down what they got to do next for tire orders and everything else. All I'm asking is, can you give the same discipline to the Word of God? That's it. We need poet warriors. And that means caring enough about what God's showing you in His Word to use every writing resource at your disposal to try to keep it. Sometimes we don't remember things because we don't write them down. We don't look at them. Get you a journal. I promise it will make a difference. doesn't have to be a big journal like that. It could be a little journal. It be something you carry in your pocket. It could be something you use at night. It could be something you use right by your bedside. But I would like to encourage you on taking a note. Also, Thorne and Fowler say summarize. As you're reading through one passage of Scripture and having one quiet time with the Lord, it's a good idea to summarize the main idea of the passage in your own words. This actually sounds easier than it is. You have to take your time and work through boiling down the main idea to maybe just a brief phrase or a sentence. And you'll wind up reworking this summary throughout all six of these steps. But writing down what you're learning forces you to articulate things clearly, which will help you better understand the Bible and later be better able to communicate the knowledge of God that you have gained. And I'm going to expound upon that in a moment with sharing. So summarize it. Next, obey. This is where your study of Scripture gets very personal. It's one thing to ask of the passage, is there a command to be obeyed or a sin to be forsaken? It's something else to ask yourself, what would your obedience to this passage look like in your life? Where do you fall short of what's being commanded? 
How is the sin depicted here present in your life? It's often said God has not given us his word for our information, but for our transformation. Part of the process of transformation is identifying what God is calling us to do in response to what we read in his word. Where do you need to repent? And how do you need to obey? What does this passage call you to believe? And what do you tend to doubt? Why do you tend to doubt what it says? To respond to God's word in faith and repentance specifically is what it means to receive the word. You were given this book not merely to read it, but to receive it. This is an act of obedience. So that's what becomes personal. It's not just for what this, how this might apply to someone else. It's first about how does it apply to me? And then the M is meditate. And this is the beautiful thing about having a quiet time early in the day is you can meditate on it all day long. So it's important to be in the Word and to be in the Word often, but it's even more important to keep the Word in you and to keep it in you always. So you may, have, you may only have enough time for a few minutes in the Scripture on a given day, but what you read in those few minutes can be taken with you throughout the day through the ongoing work of meditation. To meditate on the Scripture is to revisit a passage, your questions, the answers, and the central truths of the passage as you go about your day. Some will open their Bibles or their Bible apps while on break at work or in between tasks at home. Some will work on memorization. In all of this, what is emphasized is the work of deep and ongoing thought concerning the very Word of God that you have read and received. Now, a brief pause at the bottom of page 5. Let me go off script a little bit and share something that's kind of illustrative. I intend on trying to help you see how this works a little bit more next Sunday morning as we kind of walk through the mechanics of a quiet time. So again, for those of you that want to do that, come back and we'll try to do that together. But suffice to say for now, as you work through these things, uh, the R-A-N-S-O-M, read, ask, note, summarize, obey, meditate, the meditation part of this, you start to see how intensely personal this is. It becomes not just science, but it becomes art. This, this, is a, this is a very personal way of saying it, but if you think of a, of a, of a level of intimacy that you would have with a loved one or with a spouse, that level of intimacy that's designed to be had between a husband and a wife is a metaphor for Christ and his church, is it not? And so it's intensely personal, and it's intimate, and so you, at your best times in that most intimate of relationships in, in, on earth, at your best times, you're meditating on that relationship and not just the fruit of that relationship, but how to nurture that relationship. Uh, how, how, how do I care for my significant other? How do I care for my spouse? What does it look like to be a doting husband or, or wife? What, in our better times, that's what that looks like. That's why I think to sort of do a, a pivot. That's why I think, because it's so intensely personal, that is your relationship with Jesus. It is intensely personal. It's not private, but it is personal. Not private because we have a corporate experience as well, but it is personal. Your relationship with Jesus is so, per, so, so personal that I think sometimes when we try to box it into a teaching, it just doesn't compute. Um, so there's a science to this that we're trying to give you, but there's an art to this that is... It truly is unique between you and Jesus. Um, we know the word is in it, and we know you pray, but the exact amount of time, the exact time of the day, how many notes you take, what your journal looks like or doesn't look like, and how you process information, how the Lord's communicating with you, that's personal. 
And so sometimes I feel like I'm meddling a little bit when I talk about this subject because it's personal. But the, the, the reality that it's personal for you should not circumvent the reality that I have an obligation as an under-shepherd to implore you to have quiet times with Jesus. Does it, does that, do you understand the conundrum there? Very talking about it can cheapen it in the sense of it's personal. It's not something to just be like, I shouldn't just like beat you into submission on quiet times. It's personal. But I should equip you. We should give you tools and resources and an imploration that you need to be working on that relationship. You need to be working on that relationship. So I, I, I leave the page for a second there to talk about when you reach the point of meditation, it's intensely personal. And we're moving from science to art, if I could use that illustration loosely. Now the C, which really isn't a C, it's just a conclusion. You've already been through the R-A-N-S-O-M. What Thorne and Fowler say is the ransom Bible study method is simple, but it is not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's kind of like eating vegetables. It's simple to tell you to do. It's not always easy to do. You have to secure the vegetables and eat the vegetables and enjoy the vegetables and, and so on and so forth. And then see that life is better. Uh, Bible study is hard work because it is heart work. It's conceptual. It's not always content. You must wrestle with your own doubts, sins, fears, and questions as you are confronted with God's very character, works, law, promises, and answers. We hope this simple approach to the Scripture will serve as a means of your, of your personal and deep investment in the Word of God so that you may know the Lord and make Him known in your life. So that's the end of Thorn and Fowl. You can find the whole thing online, the Ransom Bible Study Method. I have a hard copy up here if you want to look at it after I finish. Um, would encourage you to do that. Now, I'm adding the word sharing, and I'll tell you why. Because the best sharing of the gospel that you will do, I believe, flows out from having meditated on Scripture during that particular day or week or over a season. I really do think that. When others see something in you that they want to be like or listen when it comes to, to spiritual things, if it's spirit-induced, it, it comes from your communion with God by His Word. And meditations become fodder for sharing the gospel in conversations with believers and with non-believers alike. Too often we feel guilty because I didn't share the gospel more effectively. But the truth is, effective sharing flows naturally from effective quiet times. We can't rightly track the dilemma of, tackle the dilemma of evangelism until we rightly tackle the absence, the dilemma of the absence of quiet times. Quiet times induce sharing. And so I think we need to get to the nub of the matter, and the quiet time is the first order, I order of business, I think. Uh, your communion with Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus is going to drive your sharing of him with others. And that's why I think it's the battle line. It's one of the many reasons I think it's the battle line for Christianity is having a quiet time. Okay, so we've talked about how to drive. We've talked about the science. Second, where are you going to go? And so we just want to say a few things in closing about this. Uh, I've already kind of tried to cheapen it a little bit because I've said the, the, best, the best workout plan is the one you'll actually do. The best, the best reading plan is the one you're actually going to do. The best study is the one you'll actually do. But, but let's try to give a little bit more detail than that. You need an idea of where you're trying to get to if your driving is going to be purposeful. Not all driving is just for practice. Quickly you discover that your driving needs to take you somewhere. This is where a devotional guide or a Bible reading plan comes in handy. They provide a map of where you're trying to read and in what span of time. And you can caravan together for accountability and encouragement along the journey of where you're going. So as I've already said, Table Talk Magazine provides you an excellent roadmap for your quiet time journey. It's available for free online. You can find the daily ones online. Print versions are very affordable to order. And inside each Table Talk is a five-day devotional reading through one book of the Bible. 
Therefore, you can easily apply Thorne and Fowler's ransom method. Table Talk offers verses for further study that go along with the themes in your devotional text, and so sort of developing a whole Bible understanding by reading from a law and a prophet and maybe a psalm and a gospel, you sort of see how whatever text fits into the whole canon with cross-references. So it's very helpful in that way to see the for further study verses, and it helps you read the Bible for depth. Certainly, your family worship time and church directory prayers and our corporate worship when we gather together and the expositional teaching of the Word and other independent studies that you may do can give you seasonal cues for depth of study, no doubt. But I don't want you to see that as a substitute for quiet times. The important thing is that you are hearing from God by the depth of His Word and that you're having a quiet time to yourself alone and communing with the Lord. So this is, this is the need for sure for the depth of study. We also sometimes talk about the breadth of study, which is helpful. You can't study every jot and tittle of a given passage if you're attempting to get through large blocks of material like, say, a Bible in a year plan, which I'm abbreviating B-I-A-Y. When you're reading for breadth, it's important to see yourself as moving through the material quickly to get a sense of the storyline of the Bible. And so you really, I believe, need to start with depth to develop skill and then work your way to breadth to develop the disciplines of grace. Your quiet time will be enriched once, enriched once you reach a point of adding breadth to depth of reading. And when you get to that point, there are so many Bible and year plans out there. Like I said, Table Talk offers you a way to do it. Um, we have, uh, many have found the Legacy Bible Plan helpful. We, we mailed that out to the members a couple of weeks ago. Kind of looks like that. Uh, we keep copies of it around. I've found it helpful for a Bible and a reading plan. The Gospel Coalition website has recently put together a, an interactive Bible in a year plan that focuses on McShane's Bible reading plan, which is kind of a popular one for the last hundred years or so. Uh, if you Maybe you found a resource that's helpful. Have you found one? You could share it with one another. But remember, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with Bible in a year plans. I don't want to make that the focus of this. It's easy to get paralysis from analysis of roadmaps. You need to settle on a spot and drive to it. It's better to do that quick trip and taste and see that the Lord is good than to set out for this long journey and then never get past the first mile. And so I think the best devotional guide is the one that you'll actually do. And the most important quiet time that you'll ever have is the very next one. Remember, it's a battle. It's war. The enemy does not want you to sit down with a cup of coffee and a Bible in your lap and to read it and think about it and take a little note. He does not want you to do that. He is, he is explicitly trying to put uh, distractions, diversions, uh, moods, anything that he could do to keep you from doing that. That's not, he does not want you to do that. So you need to, to think of it as war and bridge the gap between the ought to of having a quiet time and the reality of having a quiet time. I think we need to change the tone of our conversation when we talk about quiet times. Uh, from rewards to grace from rewards to grace. It's true that the disciplines of grace are hard work and they're rewarding. That's true statements. But the motivation for this, it's all about grace. The king of the universe humbled himself, come down and be born of the Virgin Mary, and to lie in a manger and to grow up of natural means, though divinity, and to subject himself to the cruelest of deaths, crucifixion on the cross for you and for me. And that Lord wants to commune with you. Now, that is not about your work and your reward, is it? That's about His grace for you, isn't it? So it's true. It feels like work when you have to literally sit down and read and you don't want to and your mind's going a thousand other places. 
but it's really about grace. And I think we need to reframe it that way. Author Jerry Bridges captures my aim here beautifully, and he has a quote there. Perhaps we should stop talking about being faithful to have a quiet time with God each day as if it were doing something to earn a reward. It would be better to talk about the privilege of spending time with the God of the universe and the importance for our own sake of being consistent in that practice. Jerry Bridges. When it comes to having effective quiet time, I am, as one theologian put it, one beggar trying to help another beggar find food. God has been gracious to me, Matt Watson, to give me the word and the empowering spirit to guide me in the skill and discipline of grace. He's been gracious to you as well. He's been gracious to you to give you his word and the empowering spirit to guide you in the skill and discipline of grace. So God is patient with you and me in our fits and starts with quiet times. But that does not mean that we should sin more, that grace by, may abound more. By no means, Romans says, we should not, that should not be the case. God's grace does not mean that poor habits should logically follow for the believer. It shouldn't. Poor habits shouldn't logically follow. We need to move off of a starvation diet when it comes to the Word of God for food and into indulging on robust nutrients from the Word of God. The shepherd feeds the sheep. He sees to it that we eat. So get excited about quiet times for sure, but don't expect excitement alone to get you alone with God regularly. Willpower is a limited commodity for human beings, for all of us. So figure out where you're going to begin. Gather the resources you need, namely a Bible and something to write on and a pencil, pen, whatever you use. And gather the resources and entrust your accountability to a fellow member for encouragement. Get with someone else say, hey, I'm going to follow table talk through the book of Esther the last five days of the of the month of December or whatever you're going to do in January. It's January now. The first five days of January, I'm going to follow table talk and let's do it together. You know, let me check in with you every now and then and get some encouragement. But whether you're new to these quiet times or you're just needing to refresh the habit of quiet time that you've once had, I want to remind you that the very most important quiet time that you're going to have is the next one because that's where the battle line has been drawn. The devil does not want you in the word. So the battle line is for tomorrow morning. That's where it's been drawn. And the question is, are you going to engage the battle? That's the question for you. View it as war. The Bible does. The Bible describes this as war. And it's high time, I think, that we view it as war as well. And so I humbly present this to you for that. I would draw attention to page number eight, which is just simply uh, copied page 58 out of this month's table talk to kind of show you uh, a sample of a guide that would help you through having a quiet time where you would, if you look at the top of the page, it says Tuesday, December 24th, Esther and Mordecai. And you can see from reading through this devotional, I discerned that historically Babylon fell to Persia and the Greeks fell to the Romans. It says it right there in the first paragraph. And I was just reminding myself of when that might have happened. So if you don't know history, one of the things about, the, about doing a daily devotional like Table Talk is you will learn history just by reading. It will, re, it will teach you history. And you do need to know a little bit of history. Or when you read a book like Esther, you have no idea where it fits. You think it happened in 1500 A.D. or something. I mean, knowing when Esther occurred is huge to being able to read it, understand it, and then apply it. The reason Table Talk's so valuable is it puts that out there for you. Sometimes people say, Table Talk's really hard. And I'll tell you, lifting weights is too, until you do it for a week. I mean, you have to read it and be like, okay, all right, okay, all right, I'm going to make a note. I don't know anything about the Persians. I'm going to Google it. You realize we've never had what resources we've got now? I mean, you used it to figure out how to cook, but would you use it to figure out who the Persians were? Well, I don't care about the Persians. Well, God does. It's in the Bible. 
You see, so understand, shift through these gears and say to yourself, you know what? I can use my resources and I can figure this out. And so you just get into this. You read, all right, so Esther 2 is the one that we're reading today. So I'm going to just open my Bible to Esther 2 and I'm just going to read Esther 2. And so you do just like the ransom study method and you do what it said and it takes you five or 10 minutes. And then you think about it and then you read what they've got and you kind of process it. And then after you get through that, you go to the bottom left-hand corner, if you've still got time, and you think, well, they're saying that if I read Leviticus 20, 24, you see those verses down there, and if I turn there and read it, and if I read Exodus 36, and if I turn to John and 1 John and read chapter 17, chapter 2, if I follow my table of contents and I do that, then I'm going to better understand Esther 2 than when I started. Okay, I'll do that. And you try it. And you're like, well, that phrase stands out. I think I'll write it down. You know, humble yourself or something like that. You know, it was one of mine this week. Or act honorably or something like that. And you write it down and you think to yourself, oh, okay, well, I see kind of the natural application of that in my life. And before you're done and before you pray and in, you're sort of like, I think I need to act more honorably to my boss or my kid or my wife or husband, whatever the case may be, and my sibling or my teacher at school or whatever the case is. And God uses his word to instruct your heart and mind on how to live. You see how important this is. So then when we come together on Sunday morning, it's not, we're not like we haven't eaten in a week and we're scrapping at the table trying to get a little piece of the word for food. We have all eaten, so we're coming to have a corporate meal together. Imagine how much more powerful it is when we come together like that around the Lord's table, literally around the Lord's table, and also from the teaching of the word expositionally. You see? It makes a difference. All of a sudden, I'm not scrapping, but we're, we're, all, we're full enough that we don't have to scrap and we can just receive. I mean, this is, a, this is a great meal for me. It's going to encourage my personal time with the Lord all week long because I've had this corporate time. Does that, does that make sense? Does that compute? My intention with this is to encourage you. So I know I sort of flew through an example of a quiet time. I want to do that very slowly, what I just did with page 8 next Sunday morning. And I'm going to ask Kurt if he will to just kill the audio because I'm going to do a little bit of Q&A before we quit. I think it took us about 30 or 40 minutes. And so if, if people weren't here and want to listen to that, we might be able to post it with the notes and it might help them. So let me just stop and ask if you have any questions, any kind of questions that might help the group, something, something that you've been thinking about as we've been going through this. Does anybody have any questions?